Welcome to episode 45 of Real Travels. I'm your host, Lisa Iannucci, and I'm also your film and TV travel guide. A belated Happy New Year to all of you. So do you remember this? Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute and just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. I'm sure you do. Want to know what it has to do with today's episode? Stick around and find out. everyone so more on that iconic music in a minute and as i've mentioned on this podcast before i've spent the last 18 months downsizing a home that my family and i lived in for more than 20 years the kids came by today to say goodbye to the house and needless to say i cried there's so many memories and honestly i've never lived anywhere for 22 years before my mom was a single mom my dad died when i was six And she would move me and my three brothers around a lot because either the rents would get high or she wanted better for us. So staying somewhere for 22 years is a really long time for me. So it's both bittersweet and exhausting and exciting all at the same time to say goodbye to this house. I'm also really excited to be starting this new chapter in my life, which will include more work on this podcast and the Real Travels magazine I started working on last year. And hopefully more film and TV travel And, you know, once we can all get back on the road again. So I'll also be bringing you some great film and TV travel topics going forward, mixed in with interviews like the one I'm going to bring you today. But before we get to that, what have I been watching? So I've been watching a lot, actually. Even though I've been really busy with all this moving, I've actually been watching a lot. So let's go down the list on some of the things that I've come across, both new and old, and what I thought of them. And I'm actually pulling in somebody special on this inter- on this little beginning today. And this know. is my honey, EJ. Say uh, hello. Nope, I don't know him. <laughs> of course. Of course. But no, he's just kidding, folks. Um, so... I first started with uh, Emily in Paris on Netflix, and I binged the entire series, which really isn't a lot. It was only like, I think, eight episodes. Loved it. Cannot wait for the second season. I thought it was really well written. I loved the, um, you know, being able to see all the the spots and the little tourism things of, of Paris, just the... Oh, God, I can't even talk enough. I'm stammering because I loved it that much. So if you get a chance, check out Emily in Paris on Netflix. Um, I also went back and watched the pilot episode of Brockmire. I've been trying to watch a lot of pilot episodes of shows that I haven't seen before. I started there, and I know that it's a show that's been on for about like five five seasons, I think think um and it it stars hank azaria and amanda pete and it's a half hour comedy kind of a comedy there's some drama mixed in there and it began like i said a few years back um as a viral short video on the funny or die website and it centers around jim brockmeyer who was a baseball announcer who suffered an embarrassing on-air meltdown. His wife had cheated on him. He's drinking. He starts just going off while he's announcing the game. Children are listening. He gets fired. He now goes to work for, I guess you would call it a triple-A team. And, you know, his problems aren't over yet. So uh, I like Hank Azaria. 
Um, I liked him on Friends, and um, he was also on Mad About You, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Um, but I like him in this. I, I'm going to watch more episodes. I haven't watched a lot yet. What did you think of the pilot? Um, it was all right. It, it was obviously, just a horrible situation to get totally drunk and turn out to be an idiot like that. And I mean, there's a time and place for everything we know about how many sports announcers who just sh- <laughs> should have shut their mouth when they just couldn't do it. And now we see yep. <clears throat> even what's his name for the Reds, Tom Brenneman. He just started talking and mentioned the wrong word twice, and now he's out of a job, and that's it. You know, yeah, at least he got a job doing something. <laughs> because right. A lot more often than not, you don't find a job. Right. I mean, I I like the writing of it. I think it pulled me in right away with that meltdown at yeah. the beginning of the of the show. <laughs> it, it just kind of drew you in as to what's going to happen now. Um, and, and I liked it. I, I mentioned it on Facebook. A lot of my friends liked it. Um, I haven't watched any episodes since then, but I'm definitely going to. So moving on, um, the next show that I watched was The Chef Show. Now that's also on Netflix, and it stars John Favreau. And it's based off of the movie that he did called The Chef. And this is John actually in real life meeting different uh, chefs and learning how to cook different foods. I love John. I love the work that he's done. I like The Chef. But to be honest with you, with the saturation of food shows that are out there, this one didn't really stand out to me. Um, I love the animation between the segments that they did. But I just it, it didn't just didn't do anything for me. Um, you know, I, I just felt like there's so many other food shows I could be watching, and uh, I you know it's for some people maybe it's not for me. So the next thing I watched was The Mayor, which is a new sitcom with Ted Danson, and it might sound like I'm in a mood, but un- unfortunately I hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, I turned it off actually halfway during the pilot episode. I didn't find it funny. I thought the jokes were strained. Uh, I just, you know, Ted Danson just came off the good place. So the next show that he was going to be on really needed to be a home run. Some people like it. Again, it's with every show. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Unfortunately, I'm in the category that I am not tuning back in again. Now, Speaking about leaving a successful show and starting another show, you have Mayim Bialik, who left Big Bang Theory and moved over to a show called Call Me Cat, which is actually also produced by Jim Parsons, who played Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory. And I like this. I It's growing on me. Um, uh, Mayim plays Cat, who left a job, a very successful job, to actually open a cat cafe. And she has a very overbearing mother. Um, and, you know, she, you see that she's trying to do what makes her happy. And, of course, it doesn't make her mother happy. So those things have to be addressed. And believe it or not, that goes all into a comedy show. She breaks the fourth wall. She talks to the audience in, in that. And that's the one thing I actually like about it. Because I just think that it, if, if, yeah, you might hate me for saying this, but I feel like I'm kind of watching Blossom as an adult. And that's kind of how it came across to me because Blossom also did the same thing. Blossom is the show that Mayim, for all you young folks out there, was in when she was younger as a teenager. And she broke the fourth wall in that show too. And I just feel like this is 
blossom all grown up owning a cat cafe. But I like it. I like the characters. It's growing on me. Um, and I've watched all of the episodes so far. So now the next one, I really wish that I kind of had my kids here because they know the Marvel Universe better than I do, although I have seen practically every movie in the Marvel Universe. But um, I'm just going to tell you that we started watching WandaVision. We were very intrigued by the look of WandaVision, the fact that you have these characters who are trying to you kind of fit in on Earth, but they're doing it through these sitcom-ish lifestyles that kind of reflect the Dick Van Dyke show, Bewitched. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see more as we go forward. Now, we've only watched the first two episodes. It was a little strange for me in the first episode. I kind of didn't understand what was going on until closer to the end of the first episode. But I really liked the look of the show. It was different than anything we've ever watched before. Um, I love the creativity of it. And uh, I'm interested to see kind of where it goes. Um, we're just starting to get into really why they're there and what's happening in this neighborhood. So for me, I really liked it. It just took a little time to get used to. What about you? Yeah, it's strange. Uh, again, they really didn't explain the premise too much. It was just, you know, especially the first show, where they, they, they opened the, uh, one of those, the blinds and all these things are floating in the kitchen. So you're like, all right, so it's bewitched. And then you're like, well, okay, it's not because they're in the future, but yet it's like a, what, what, what kind of show is this? Like yeah. you said, like, I, <laughs> so I'm still confused, I, I think. And then it was all black and white. And until that moment where we saw yeah. the thing open in red, we were like, okay, so there is going to be color. And we know we've already seen a couple of previews for Step Up the Road, and we know there's going to be color in them. Yep. And they're going to, and you can see in his face the red. So I don't know. I'm still confused. I'm on the edge. I, I need I need two or three more episodes. You're also and I'll not, tune in too. Yeah, you're also not a Marvel guy. You you haven't really watched a lot of the Marvel episodes or Marvel movies. I mean, yeah, I so I know, and I can't explain it. And I know people out there are probably yelling at the podcast right now, going, "Don't you know that it's this?" I understand that it's there's a connection. I'm not good at explaining that connection. So I'm just going to leave it here and say that WandaVision for me was very good but took some time to understand. And for EJ, he's still a little, you know, we're on, we're going on to episode three now. He's still a little confused. But it is starting to build a world now and starting to give us a little more peek into what's going on. Okay, moving on, and we're just going to give this next one just a second, but we also watched, uh, we're, we're big fans of the Great British Bake Off, and we watch um, Paul Hollywood in that, EJ's a big fan of Paul and his, all the work that he does there. Oh, I love Paul Hollywood. Yeah, so we were intrigued at the uh, the road trip with Paul Hollywood on Netflix as well. So we tuned in, and basically Paul has baking, is a fan of baking, but he's also a fan of cars. And we watched it, and what did you think of that? Loved it. Obviously, when he was in Italy, I was like, oh, come on. That was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, Lamborghinis and the Ferraris. And, oh. and I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, because when I first put the show on and told you I thought you'd like this, you were like, no, I'm not going to sit yeah, here watching I, him I play with think, cars. Uh, yeah, because I guess I had him so associated with, ba with baking yeah. that I'm like, well, why would I enjoy him doing anything car-related? It was weird. But I, no, I loved it. And then we watched the Germany one. 
Yeah. Um, and that one was great, too. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we haven't watched the France one yet. No, but, but Germans and Italians obviously know cars and no speed and no luxury. Yep. So, you know, I know how to put all three together, which is really cool. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. I exactly. loved it. <laughs> and being in Italy, too, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love anything Italy. You know? uh, yeah, just even watching, you get to learn a little more of the culture of Italy. Yeah. We hope to get there very soon. Yep. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So I actually did enjoy that. Now, last night, we watched The Ultimate Playlist of Noise, which is an original movie on Hulu about Marcus, who is a high school senior who's obsessed with music and audio, and he learns that he has to undergo brain surgery, and unfortunately, the brain surgery is going to render him deaf. So he decides that he's going to go on a road trip to record sounds, and it might sound odd because you're like, well, okay, well, he's going to record sounds that he's never going to hear, but it was his way of hearing all of the sounds before he couldn't hear them anymore. He only had a few short weeks to be able to do this. So there's conflict with his family, with his mom, actually, about going on this road trip. He gets jumps in the car, leaves home without even telling his mother, and now we watch his his adventures on the road, which are both good and bad, and I'm not giving away any spoilers, so please don't give away any spoilers. But how did you like that movie? I, I liked it. Uh, it was sad. Um, it was weird, like the, the relationship between the girl in the show and him. And I don't know if anyone's going to end up feeling like I do, like, like they, they left something on the table. But um, they didn't seem to be too eager to make anything happen about it. I don't know. It was weird, obviously, how they met. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit, bit weird, too, but I don't know. Um, I liked it. I, I just I felt sad that he was losing his hearing, knowing how much it would affect me. I guess I kind of took his side of all of it, like imagining what it would be like to not be able to have my hearing. Oh, my God. Yeah, especially since you're a big music guy, too. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I, I feel like he did, like... You know, for those first few weeks, he was just like, I'd rather be dead. Like, I get yeah. it, man. I get it. Yeah. But then, obviously, life is life and you live. Uh, so Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was very well written. Yeah. Um, I, I actually liked the guy who played uh, Marcus. I think, what did I say? His name was Marcus, right? Yeah. Um, yes, his name is Marcus. Yeah. And, yeah, I really enjoyed his acting. Um, and I thought it was a good movie. I, I think it kind of also awakens you to really appreciate the little sounds in your life because of a situation like this. You you take all those things for granted. So I enjoyed it, uh, and I would definitely check it out. Now, yeah. before we get to my interview, the la next thing I'm going to focus on is Nomadland. Um, it's a critically acclaimed movie that has been a standout at quite a few film festivals lately. It's been winning awards. It's getting a lot of buzz. It comes out nationwide in February. More on that next week, and that's really important to a show like this because it has to do with RV travel, but not quite in the way that you think it does. So stay tuned next week for my critique on Nomadland and uh, you know whether or not I liked it or not. So more on that later. So here, those are some great ideas for you to watch if you're home. Let me know what you're watching. Reach out to me on Instagram or on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, wherever you follow me. And I'd love to know what things you're watching right now. So now, that was a lot. So now for this week's interview. And I'm sure you recognize that music from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. What you may not know is I actually wrote an auto, uh, not an autobiography, but a biography of Will Smith years ago. Thanks to that biography, I ultimately appeared in Will Smith's biography that they did in Germany, the, the video biography. Think like A&E biography, but Germany's version of it. So I actually appeared in that, 
And it took me, I think, 10 years to watch the DVD of when I was in it, which I just did during this whole downsizing process. It was really odd. But I really enjoyed appearing in it. I thought it was a blast, a, a real unique part of my career. And this week, going back to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I interviewed the very talented Daphne Maxwell-Reed, who played the second Aunt Viv on the show. It was a very fun interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And again, I'll see you on the other side. On this week's edition of Real Travels, my guest is actress, author, and designer Daphne Maxwell-Reed, best known for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She played Vivian Banks for three years, but she's also the author of several books on doors, which I found absolutely fascinating as a topic, and there's so much I want to talk to her about, so let's get started. Welcome to the show, Daphne. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Thank you, and I am thrilled you're here, and with so much to discuss, I first want to ask you, with all the craziness in the world, how are you and Tim holding up? We're doing just fine. We're blessed. Nobody in our family has come down with any of this pandemic noise, and uh, we have just been blessed. It's been a great time of growth for both of us. Oh, that's awesome to hear. So I'm going to actually take you back a little bit um, because I'm wondering, I read that you actually started studying interior design and architecture, and I'm so curious on the road from that to Hollywood. So which was your first career goal? Was it in interior design or was it to be an actress? Uh, I don't think I had a goal. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had a goal. (laughs) I have... uh, been blessed by my God with a lot of gifts, and my life has been journeying to fulfill those gifts. And uh, I found myself studying what I was interested in knowing, and then pursuing whatever opportunity arose. And the opportunities didn't arise with interior design and architecture, except in my own home, and my kids, of course, and, and friends. But um, never wanted to make a career path out of that once I got the information that I was interested in. But I use all of the information from all of my journeys in every journey that I take. So I'm not one of those goal-oriented folks. So you were you a TV and movie buff when you were young and thought, hey, this yeah. is one of those things? No? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I watched TV, and mm-hmm. I did, uh, on a Saturday afternoon, I was with a group called the Group Theater Workshop, which was somewhere that a friend of mine said, oh, come, I'm doing this thing on Saturday, come with me. And I went with her, and it was a lot of fun. And we got to improvise, and we learned a lot of movement, and we learned a lot about theater. And the group theater workshop became the Negro Ensemble Company, but that was after I had left and gone to college. But I had stuck my toe into acting. I enjoyed it, but I, in the 60s, you don't have a lot of examples of black women making a career out of that mm-hmm. and eating well. So uh, <laughs> that was not on my list of things to do is be hungry. So uh, I went to college as one was, I guess, supposed to do. And I went to get my BA and my MRS and I got both. 
And, um, for those who don't know what the MRS is. <laughs> I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, what's an MRS? And you go to college to find a husband. Ah. <laughs> okay. Um, but you found more than that there, though, right? I mean, you, you... I did. It, I had some wonderful blessings put before me mm-hmm. that I was able to take advantage of. And I had some experiences that turned out to be historic that didn't start out needing or wanting to be historic. It just happened to be the time that I was the first to do it. So those are blessings to me. It's not. It wasn't a goal. Can you give me an example of what kind of a historic thing you're talking about? I was Northwestern University's first black homecoming queen. I was Glamour Magazine's first black cover girl. Um, and these things were just things that happened. I wasn't striving to be the homecoming queen. I, got, I didn't even know what it was. Uh, but my roommates drew my uh, hat in the ring, as they say, because I was modeling at the time. I got discovered as a model with the help of my junior high school English teacher. Now, my life is just full of wonderful little ties to how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) That should be the name of your biography. How did that autobiography, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) And um, Eileen Ford saw a picture that Seventeen Magazine had done of me for being um, a National Merit Scholarship Award winner. And they did a, they had an issue in January called the Real Girl Issue. And they didn't use models, they used real girls. And I was one of the real girls that they chose in 1967. And I was a full page in the large format 17 magazine. Well, Eileen Ford, who was the top New York agent at the time, saw the picture and asked me to register with her. I was in college. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I could fly back and forth from Chicago to New York on a student fare on United Airlines for $25 round trip. And they were calling me to New York to do editorials that were paying me $50 an hour. So it made fiscal sense to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and all they were asking me to do was smile. Mm-hmm. I can do that. <laughs> so that's how I became a model. And from a model, my girlfriends threw my hat in the ring for homecoming queen. And they selected me for the court. And then I don't know how, nobody knows how, but I got elected. Out of a court of five, I got elected as homecoming queen. And Northwestern University was not ready for that. (laughs) They were not at all pleased with that. (laughs) um, They didn't put it in the yearbook that year. They didn't even put my name in the yearbook. Oh, wow. And when I asked the editor of the yearbook why I I didn't have the three pages the chick before me had had, she said, oh, it wasn't important this year. I said, okay. (laughs) I understand. I've had lots of little experiences that would have stopped people. No, it just made me stronger. (laughs) So I kept going and decided that Northwestern wasn't important to me. 
And believe me, when I got famous, they came calling. And what did you say? (laughs) I said, you'll never get a dime out of me. Wow. (laughs) You were a bad experience. Good for you. (laughs) So, that's the... I've had a life full of firsts that I didn't seek, Mm -hmm. but was rewarded with. And it's only in hindsight that a pioneer becomes historic. Because <laughs> as a pioneer, you get shot. Most, you get shot first. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> wow. I, I've been blessed. And that's how my life has progressed. And getting into acting was just another step. I did commercials when I was in Chicago after I graduated from college. And I was modeling. I did commercials. And this guy named Robert Conrad came to Chicago to do a series called The Duke. Mm -hmm. So he says, okay, everybody, let's see what kind of talent we got here in Chicago. And my agent, my modeling agent, sent me over. We had a grand time. We had a good audition. And he hired me to be in that show. And that's how I started on television. And then I moved to Los Angeles when Mm -hmm. I got divorced. And I said, well, let me call Robert Conrad, see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he had another show. He said, oh, you're in town. I've got this show. I want you to guest star on this show. And I was able to get an agent, and then I didn't stop working. That's awesome. And I saw, you know, you've been in, you were in so many great shows, it had all these different roles in the 80s before you even landed on Fresh Prince. Oh, yeah. Did you, do you, does one stick out at you as like, wow, I wish that could have continued and, and, you know. Frank Place. Frank Place, it Mm -hmm. was my favorite show. And my husband had created it, Mm -hmm. and it was something very new and different in Hollywood, and they just tried not to understand it, but uh, the whole country rallied around this show. We have more TV Guide covers for that show from all over the United States. It was so well received, but it was canceled from the second season for political reasons that we found out later. So it, it really broke my heart that that show, which was groundbreaking and wonderful and so well received, did not have a second season. Or more. I remember that show, and I, I didn't understand either why it, it didn't get more time. I mean, back then you didn't have it, like the internet, so you could research, and people were doing all interviews talking about why right. it was canceled. You just and knew it was canceled. We didn't have cable, so mm-hmm. there was no other network to go to. We had ABC, NBC, and CBS, and that was it. Wow. So you, we've already joked about how you know your 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 autobiography should be. How did that happen? So <laughs> how did you then end up on Fresh Prince? I mean, I'm sure you've told this story before, but how did that come about in the middle of all of this? Well, after doing Frank's Place and Simon and Simon and Snoops and the Tim and Daphne show. We were kind of exhausted, and we had bought a farm in Virginia, and we were getting ready to move to the farm, and uh, my agent says, I got an audition for you. This young rapper is doing a sitcom. I said, "Uh, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I moved on to the farm. And I turned the TV on that fall and saw the cutest show. I said, oh, well, I guess I missed that one. And 
for three years. I was at the farm. I did some other pilots and things, uh, some short-lived shows back in L.A. And then one day they called me and said, we have an audition for you for the Aunt Viv role in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I said, hmm, isn't there an Aunt Viv? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I said, I'll be there. I like the show. And it took me two weeks of auditioning and probably 200 other women, and I got the role. What's the hardest part in stepping into a role that somebody already had and you're coming in now to take over that role? What what What's the hardest part of that? Uh, showing up for work the first day. Wondering how they're going to receive you. They have been a family for three years, and then you step into it. What is the reception going to be like? I didn't even think about the fact that I was replacing somebody. I was just going to work. Mm-hmm. And they had chosen me because probably of the chemistry that I had with James Avery and because they knew of my career. Um, I was qualified to do the job. I wasn't trying to be who she was. Mm-hmm. It was no problem for me to stand there and be a part of this new family. I just stepped into the role, and the joy of it was I was received by them very warmly. Mm-hmm. I was embraced from the minute I got there. I, they had dozens of roses in my room. I got hugged. I got welcomed. I was very, very embraced when I got there, and I appreciated that. That's awesome. And it has such a cult following, even today. Um, oh, yes. You know, I, I mean, this podcast focuses on film and TV, but also film and TV travel, and there are so many of my listeners that have actually made, like, these pilgrimages <laughs> to Philadelphia <laughs> to take photos on the playground that's at the beginning of the show. Um, I was wondering if you knew about that and if you've ever no. gone to a place like, you know, you see something on TV or in a movie and you're like, I have to go there the way these fans have done with Fresh Prince. You betcha. <laughs> I've traveled the world and I have been <clears throat> to places that I had seen uh, and wanted to see up close. I mean, who doesn't go to Paris and want to go to the Eiffel Tower? Mm-hmm. I mean, or the Stockholm because it's just so gorgeous standing up there on that hill. But I've gone to places because I've seen them in movies. So I don't think it's too odd. I mean, a playground is a little odd, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. They'll actually recreate, like, they'll take a basketball and recreate the, the picture in the scene in the front and then put themselves, like, almost like postcard over still of the, of the beginning of the, um, the, the show to show yes. that they stood exactly there. And uh-huh. it, it's, it's incredible, you know. I guess. <laughs> um, do you remember, like, for you, do you remember what movie might have triggered something like that for you to, to actually go? You said you've seen places uh, in movies. Do you remember any particular movies that you've seen that have encouraged you to go to travel? I hadn't put those two together. <laughs> no, not offhand. It's mm-hmm. Most of the places that I have been traveling to are places that interested me because I had seen them somewhere, either mm-hmm. in a magazine or in a story. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to Turkey. I remember going to Israel and wanting to go through Jerusalem and go through the walled city. And we hit all four quarters of the walled city and going to Bethlehem and seeing where they say Jesus' manger was. And it, those kinds of things were, oh, we're here. We are in the place that this happened mm-hmm. more than this is from a movie. This is from history, from life. Right. And absorbing the culture around that part of the world or that part of of history. It's you know, more cultural than movie buff. Right. I don't remember movies after I see them. I'm not the person that that dives into movies and can tell you all the actors' names and lines from the movie. Ah, I see a movie and I said, oh, I love that movie. And if I don't see it again, I don't remember much about it. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. But, you know, the traveling, too, which which obviously has become really important to you because you have these books on doors in certain aspects of the world and talk a little bit about how that actually kind of came about because I, I just found it fascinating. While I was working and doing a lot of television shows, we had downtime and we were blessed to be semi-celebrities, so we would get calls from Robin Leach and say, we're going to do a Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous in Turkey. You want to go? Yeah, we'll go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's going to turn that down? And you'd go for four or five days, and he'd shoot maybe one or two days and get whatever show he wants, and he says, you're on your own. Here's your ticket. <laughs> we would travel the world. Mm-hmm. And my husband is a big traveler as well. I've always wanted to travel because my aunt was in the Navy, and after she got out of the Navy, she traveled, and she would come back and tell stories about being in Berlin or being in Paris, and I really wanted to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got to do that. In the 80s, I traveled the world. I had friends who were having a birthday party for their husband on a yacht, and we did the whole West side, oh, what side of Italy is that? That's the east side of Italy. We went up and down the coast. I mean, I had some really blessed privileges of traveling the world, and I found myself focusing on the architecture and the culture. Mm-hmm. I'm, all, I'm a maker. I make things with my hands, and I appreciate things that are handmade. So I'm always searching out things that are made by the people who live there and why they make it and what they make it out of. And I was attracted to doors because I like the details of architecture. My husband and I could be taking taking the picture of the same house. He would take a picture of the entire house. I would take a picture of the door, of the door knocker, of the the, uh, handlebar, of the windowsill, I like the details, mm-hmm. and I like craftsmanship. So I just kept all over the world taking pictures of doors. But that was among other pictures I was taking. 
I'm doing landscapes and stairs and other things. And I would come back to um, Virginia with some friends I was hanging out with. One lady worked in a museum. Another one was a uh, producer for a radio show that we were doing here in Richmond. And we'd have lunch, and I'd show them the pictures. So, where have you been this time? And uh, they keep looking at my pictures, and they say, why don't you have a gallery show or something? These are really good pictures. And I said, well, because you have to be a photographic artist to put up a gallery show. And they said, uh, put up a gallery show. <laughs> and I said, oh, why not? So I woke up on my 60th birthday and decided to uh, ask a, uh, a gallery with which I was on the board. I said, oh, you don't have anything hanging for July. Can I hang some pictures for July and have a show? And they said, oh, sure. Wow. And I did and I did these 16 by 20 prints of doors from all over the world. And I held my breath while people came and saw the pictures and bought them. <laughs> I love how you just said you held your breath because, I held my you know, breath. you seem, and, and obviously very, very confident, but something like that must have made you nervous because you had never done it before and to hold your right. breath and wonder what other people think is that right. kind of what it's scared like you putting your baby out for display wow and saying, here slay my baby this <laughs> 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 um, this trepidation in exposing your art to other people's eyes it's mm -hmm. art to you and you wonder if it's art to anybody else and i was received Wow. And it was glorious. It was wonderful. I was asked to come and present um, talks at different women's groups and uh, Chamber of Commerce, and I'd tell them about my travels and about my photography. And I told this story so many times, I said, you know, I need to write this down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that became my first book. And, of course, that was a whole journey in itself. How do I format this book? What programs on my computer do I use? How do I enhance these? How do I display these pictures in a book? And I go through a whole process and mock up a book. And a friend of mine uh, said, I'll get you a meeting with one of my um, editors at where my books are published. I thought it might be lovely. And I got a one-hour meeting with a gentleman and held my breath. <laughs> <laughs> and walked in and presented my idea, showed him my mock-up and what I was trying to do. And he said, this is very interesting. This is not something we would publish because it doesn't seem like it would fit in a bookstore. It's more of a gift store item. And it, would, would you take any comments from me? I said, I'll take every comment you give me. I wrote down every comment he made about how I had laid it out and how he would see it done a little differently, and I made every change that he suggested and sent him a copy that I published myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn the publishing business and the distribution business and the Library of Congress business. I mean, mm -hmm. the journeys are what make life rich for me. So it's not I have to become a publisher. I have to become a, a, a published book.
this journey going to take me? Mm-hmm. And I took that journey and did my first book and was able to sell out all of the ones that I printed. <laughs> and I said, oh my, let me do another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did my second book on Cuba. I went on a, a, a very pointed tour. Uh, a gentleman out of Long Island was t- doing a photographic tour of all of the West End cities in uh, Cuba. And I loved Cuba. And I had pictures from Cuba and doors from Cuba. I said, I'm going to take this trip and see some more of Cuba. And I took a two-week trip with him and took pictures of doors. And I did an entire book called Opening Closed Doors because it was the year that... Um, Obama had opened the doors and allowed travel to Cuba. Mm-hmm. So I did a book called Opening Closed Doors, uh, Cuba 2015, and it sold well. So I kept doing them, and I kept taking trips, and I my third and fourth books turned out to be journals rather than, more like catalogs, rather than a journaled discovery of the places that the first two books had been. Mm-hmm. So, I have four published books that are still selling, and I sell them myself. So, you sound like somebody who, I, I, I can't ask this next question to, because usually I go, <laughs> okay, so what do you still want to accomplish? I mean, you've accomplished so much, but oh, it sounds I have like... Lots of things to do. <laughs> okay, so give me an idea, because even though you're on a journey and you kind of take things as they come... What is something that you still want to do? Oh, and before I let you answer that, your jackets are stunning. They are ridiculously stunning. I I have to say that. I know we didn't really talk about that too much, but just beautiful. And and so what else do you want to work on and, and, and get involved with? Well, I wrote a cookbook on um from recipes and stories from my life of 40 years in the business and that cookbook is doing well as well it's called grace soul and mother wit and it has stories of where the recipes came from or what these people meant to me and it also helps you get started in the kitchen if you've never been in there before as a a cook so it's kind of a, a handbook and a mini memoir. I talk a lot about my mother and my family and growing up in New York. And um, it's, it's doing very well. I'm, it's on its second printing as well. Then I did the jackets that I had been wearing myself. I've been making my own clothes since I was nine years old. Oh, wow. I, you go to junior high school and the ladies said we were, they had classes called home economics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are going to sew this quarter for home economics. I said, okay. I said, we're making an apron. I said, you make an apron. I'm making a wool suit lined and I'll just <laughs> have a skirt on the bias. Thank you very much. And I did. That's how my experiences went. But I always made my own clothes because they never had in the store the colors that I wanted or didn't fit the way I wanted. I just mm-hmm. make it myself and make it like I wanted. And I discovered these Chinese silk brocades in a little shop in Los Angeles in Beverly Hills. 
And I made friends with the guy who owned it. And I would go in there and I'd say, oh, give me that color. And I would make a jacket out of that. And I'd walk down the street in this jacket and people would stop me in the street and say, where did you get that? And I said, I made it. Oh, oh, would you make me one? No. (laughs) That's not what I intend to do with my life is make people grow. But after years of of, um, wearing these and making them, my husband had a fundraiser for his institute, and he says, we're having a fashion show, and I want you to do a line of those jackets that people keep stopping you wearing. I said, oh, that'll be fun. So I made a dozen of them and modernized, and um, they had the fashion show, and they started selling off the runway. And I said, oh, God. And he has pestered me for years. He said, why aren't you manufacturing these things? I said, because I don't consider them clothes. I consider them art projects. Each one of them is a jewel. It's like wearing statement jewelry. You don't manufacture statement jewelry. You custom make statement jewelry. Mm -hmm. So... I started a custom making business, and it's been going very well. (laughs) Until the pandemic uh, kept people from coming and getting measured, so that's what I do as well as exploring what I might do next. I started, as you say, writing that memoir, that lifetime memoir. Mm -hmm. I've gotten five thousand words gone, but. It still needs some work, and I haven't focused on it because the pandemic uh, kind of pointed me to making masks with all of these random fabric scraps that I have that I've collected over the past 50 years. They're just the end pieces of things that I have made for myself. I started making masks, and they started selling too. So that's what I'm doing now and spending a lot of time reorganizing my space so that I can get creative again. Wow. That's awesome. You are so talented, and I am so happy that I got a chance to talk to you, even for just a short period of time. I would love to actually keep this going for like another hour but I won't. <laughs> um, well, next time. That sounds great to me. And where can everybody follow you? Do you do social media? And I know I you do. have your website, DaphneMaxwellReed.com, but where else can they find you? On Miss Daphne 13, because I'm born on the 13th. So Ms. Daphne, MS Daphne 13 is my handle for Instagram. And Daphne Reed is my Facebook page, but Instagram is is where I post most of what's coming up next or what I'm doing or what's happening in my life. Awesome. Daphne, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, really do appreciate it. I'm glad I finally got to talk to you. I'm glad, too. Thank you so much. And I'm going to keep you to that coming back on again at some point. (laughs) All right, then. You have a wonderful, wonderful year. 
All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Daphne, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I loved talking to you. And thank you all so much for listening to Real Travel's podcast. I want to thank my honey for making a special appearance on this week's episode. No, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> Please follow me on Instagram at The Virgin Traveler. If you have a minute, maybe leave me a review on this podcast. All you have to do is click on those little iTunes stars. Five would be great. It would really help me out. Thanks again. I'll see you next week.